this is Christelle Niles, and for the first episode of Gilles in the Air series, I have the pleasure to interview Dr. Andreas Hartmann, who is a neurologist and coordinator of the French Reference Center for Tourette Syndrome at La Pitié Salpêtrière Hospital in Paris, France. Today, Dr. Hartmann will talk about Tourette Syndrome, myths, misconceptions, and ways forward. So, Andreas. Hello, how are you? Welcome to our show. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Shall we just jump right in? Ticks often come to medical attention after a few years. Why do you think Tourette syndrome's diagnosis is often delayed or even missed? Well, I think that there are probably three reasons. Uh, number one is ticks are often confused with somatic disorders. So when you think about the typical ticks, coughing, throat clearing, eye blinking, sniffing, they make you think of other stuff maybe, you know. Um, so parents quite often take their children to an ophthalmologist for, for the eye blinking or to an ENT doctor or to a neurologist thinking maybe it's asthma. So that's one reason, I believe. Um, another one is that quite often, as you know, ticks are not visible during the outpatient clinic or at least the initial um, meeting. So quite often I get I get letters from my colleagues who, who say, well, I, I, I haven't seen a tick or heard a tick during the outpatient clinic, during the meeting with the patient. So he or she doesn't have ticks, which of course is, well... Bullshit. And uh, the third thing is uh, that quite often the advice given to parents is it will pass, which isn't completely wrong advice if ticks have only been there for a few few days or for a few weeks. But of course, after a certain while, ticks, ticks don't go away. So, so the idea that it will pass just, just doesn't apply anymore. And yet I've seen quite a few patients who have had the, that kind of advice for a decade until they, they came to see me. Yes, you're right. Making the, the diagnosis can be indeed very challenging. I think it's necessary to, to take the time to listen to the parents in the consultation room and to contact TS specialists when ticks persist. Um, when thinking about myths in Tourette syndrome, perhaps the most common one is that TS is still considered in 2024 as a rare disorder by the public. So as we know, it is far from the truth since this meta-analysis in 2012 found a prevalence of 0.77% in children. Why do you think is that? Um, I think there, there are, again, probably two, two or three reasons. One is that many people don't, don't take in public. Um, it's actually the same as, as what we just said about what happens during the, the first visit. So... People tick at home, people tick when they are surrounded by, by, by family, by friends, but you don't really see them ticking in public. So many people wonder where, where are all these patients? But I am, I am very sure, of course, that they exist, that they are there. And related to that, uh, many people with ticks, chronic ticks or Tourette syndrome just don't seek medical attention. So it's, um, these numbers are, are, are certainly true. And yet only a subset, maybe 10 or 20% of people with chronic ticks really go see a healthcare professional. And a third reason might be that uh, many people still consider coprolalia or copropraxia to be a necessary diagnostic criterion for Tourette syndrome. Yes, that was actually one of my following questions about um, coprolalia. How common and how bothersome do you think coprolalia really is? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I fully agree with you. It's actually sad that in 2024 we, we still have to explain that coprolalia isn't uh, compulsory to, to make the diagnosis of Tourette's syndrome. Uh, as to the prevalence in, in the literature, it's, it's usually said 10 to 20 percent. I, I think it's probably even less, maybe 5 to 10. Um, I mean, I, I work in a tertiary referral center, and, and frankly speaking, I, I don't see that many coprolalic patients. So... I think it's 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 not that many, um, and what you also need to keep in mind is that coprolalia can can fluctuate uh, in severity and it can also disappear. So I have had patients who were coprolalic for a few months or maybe for a few years, but not not all the time, not during the not during the whole disease course. So I think that's also good news. It's something that that needs to be emphasized that even if coprolalia appears, it can also disappear. However, when it is present, because you ask uh, whether it is it is bothersome, in, indeed it is, and it it certainly is a is a bad tick to have because it it really has a significant uh, social impact. Yeah, and this leads to my next question. Sometimes in children with other mental health comorbidities, such as OCD, it's not always obvious to distinguish ticks from compulsions, for example. How easy ticks are to diagnose, in your opinion? Uh, well, the answer is they, they are easy uh, and not easy to diagnose. So it's it, it depends what kind of ticks we're, we're talking about, right? If, if we're thinking about the classic ticks, um, classic simple motor ticks, simple, simple motor ticks, uh, vocal ticks, I think they, they are fairly easy to diagnose, especially if, you, if you've seen a few patients. Of course, you need to ask about urge to do, urge to move, about possible control, relief after movement or, 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 or vocalizations. But it's it's not really complicated. The, the, the kind of ticks that are more difficult to diagnose and that you that you just alluded to are, are those who might be taken or mistaken for for OCD. So uh, certain types of repetitive behaviors, uh, symmetry behaviors, just right phenomena, um, and even among neurologists and psychiatrists, it's not always quite clear whether we should qualify them as complex ticks or as, as OCD or as something in between. Um, there is some talk in the literature about OCD uh, type ticks, but in any case, these, these can occur. But I, I don't think that in general, it is very difficult to diagnose ticks and therefore it is not very difficult also to diagnose uh, to diagnose Tourette syndrome. Yes, it's interesting. And would you say ticks are more difficult to diagnose in adults? Uh, maybe, yes. Uh, it, it depends if you really have the full developmental history, which of course is, is, is more difficult to obtain in an adult patient, in, in a child. Um, usually the sequence and the chronology of, of events is, is, is more obvious. Uh, so some of my adult patients have, have trouble recollecting, you know, when ticks started, how they started, which were the first ticks. But even in adults, I think the, the diagnosis is, is usually quite easy to make. Thank you. On another topic, parents often ask if ticks are of psychological origin. What do you answer them? Well, I tell them that it's a facilitating factor, uh, but it's not a cause. And, and this is, I think, quite important. It's true for, for all movement disorders. Of course, emotions, adrenaline uh, can can increase, can reinforce uh, movements. Uh, and that also applies to ticks, but it's not a cause. Uh, this is not why we tick. Or if you want to give, to give a reverse question, I'm asking them or I'm telling them, 
um, if ticks, if, sorry, if anxiety um, was a cause for ticks, uh, we'd all have ticks, right? Also, while at the consultation room, parents often express feelings of guilt, right? What do you think that is? I think there, there are two kinds of guilt. Sometimes they are mixed. Uh, one is education. So, so some parents believe, you know, their children have tics and that also applies to ADHD and autism and other neurodevelopmental disorders because, because of the upbringing, because they did something wrong. They should have, um, you know, educated their children differently. And, and this is something actually that, that we see a lot of in, in France where psychoanalysis is going strong, you know, so it's, it's basically the parents or especially the mother's fault if, if the child has tics. And genetic guilt, if you want to call it like that, is, is the idea that you have transmitted a gene or, or, or a number of genes that might have contributed to the development of tics. And of course, in both cases, I, I try to reassure the parents that it's not their fault and that especially when it comes to genetics, we, we still don't know that much um, and that clearly there is no reason, even if there's a positive family history, not to have children. And what parents often ask once the diagnosis has been made is whether Tourette syndrome explains all behavioral problem. What is your take? Uh, I think it, it explains, uh, actually very little behavioral <laughs> problems. Um, at least when you, when you think about what, what we call pure Tourette's, uh, people who have only ticks, this is rather rare, maybe 10% of, of our patients. But these people usually don't have any behavioral problems. So, uh, in, in my opinion, and this is also what, what you read in the literature, usually you do need to have some, some kind of psychiatric comorbidity. To, to have behavioral abnormalities and, and the most common I think would be ADHD, which is present in at least half of our patients, but also OCD, anxiety, uh, autism spectrum disorder. So, um, it's, it's usually a, a, a mix, I would say, of, of Tourette's because there are certain specificities to, to Tourette. Uh, behaviors. Um, one, I think, would, would be rage attacks, which, which you don't really see in ADHD that much alone. Um, but, uh, but again, it's, it's usually a combination of many factors and also quite often just uh, puberty. A final question that many would consider controversial, especially since you work at La Pisselvetria Hospital. Um, do you think that we should rename Tourette syndrome? Well, as you say, it, 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 it breaks my heart if we, if we did, because there's a certain historical value attached to, to Tourette and, and to the history of Tourette syndrome and, and to the person, uh, Georges Gilles de la Tourette. But overall, yes, I think we, we should rename Tourette syndrome for the reasons we, we discussed earlier. There's a lot of stigma still attached to the name, a lot of misunderstanding. Um, and I think it would overall be better to have a more neutral expression, something that is more factual, like tick spectrum disorder, or maybe just simply chronic ticks, because basically this is what Tourette syndrome is. Um, and I also believe that, especially recently, you know, uh, all these, let's say, weird representations of Tourette's have been rather reinforced by what we see on social media. So I think that's that's also an issue. And in, in, in some ways, I really think we are peddling backwards. You know, um, we, we try to educate the public. And I think to a certain extent, we, we, we manage to do that. 
But then, you know, it's, it's, it's like one of those dragons, you know, you cut off a head and then two others regrow immediately. And then suddenly, you know, we all, we get back again to coprolalia and, and, and bizarre behaviors and stuff like that. So, so I think getting rid of the term to it might help, you know, becoming just a bit more rational about, about what it is and what it isn't. Yeah. I, I am also attached to the name Gilles de la Tourette syndrome. What I would hope is for the stigma surrounding the name to, to disappear. And at the same time, I understand how the tick spectrum term could help alleviate a part of that stigma. Currently, what I observe is that patients seem to accept that they have ticks, but the term Tourette syndrome triggers a completely different reaction. Well, I, I think actually what you what you need to differentiate is is, is parents when when parents come with their children, uh, then the the diagnosis of Tourette syndrome is is usually felt as something really hard. You know, so quite often there are tears. You know, um, it's really seen as a as a very serious uh, condition. You know, in in adult patients, it's 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 kind of different. Of course, they they have you know, grown to know their own tics, you know, they're, they're used to them. Um, and they might even like the name Tourette syndrome, you know, it, it also becomes sort of identity marker. Um, so again, I'm, I'm, I'm not anti-Tourette, but I'm just saying that on balance, uh, I think especially for, for patients who are newly diagnosed, uh, getting rid of the term Tourette uh, might, might, might be advantageous. Mm. Well, thank you very much, Andreas, for joining us today. Keep well, and we hope to see you in Varese in June. Well, thank you very much, Christelle. Thank you all for tuning in today. The second episode of Gilles in the Air will drop soon. Mm -hmm.